Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodaychicago.com. Well, God, we love you and uh, pray that you do what you want. Amen. Amen. So uh, we are in a series on joy, and we've looked at several various uh, aspects of joy. Uh, in recap, I wanted to just um, put this out there that we've talked a lot about different practices that we can do to experience joy, that joy is a choice. Uh, having joy is not just an emotion, it's a ch- thing, something we choose. Um, but before I dive into the message today, which I want to talk about having joy in trials, I want to just kind of like put something on your mind here and just encourage you to go back and listen to some of those messages, to think about the practices. Um, actually, if you could put up this uh, slide of uh, bringing it old school, um, nostalgic to my childhood. Uh, anybody remember G.I. Joe's? Love G.I. Joe's. Used to bury them in the dirt when they died and find them later. I don't know. It was a weird thing. But there was this commercial that would always happen, right? It was like a public service announcement. Do you guys remember this for some of you? Um, and it was knowing is half the battle. And you're like, thank you, G.I. Joe. Um, they always tell you something like, you know, hey, did you know that like if you cut your, your lights off when you leave the house, you save this much electricity? I don't know. If you talk to strangers, you could die as a kid. It was always these kind of things. Um, and it's like, now you know. Knowing's half the battle. Well, um, what I want to say is in terms of joy, this is a fallacy. Um, It's easy to come into an environment like this and hear a message and think, oh my gosh, I know something new, or I've meditated on something about with my brain, and now I'm going to start experiencing joy. Like that's that I want to say that that's a that's a fallacy in terms of us pursuing and finding joy in life. That that knowing having knowledge is not half the battle. Um, Half the battle is learning to practice the things that will cultivate joy. So the things we've talked about so far are practicing gratitude, um, being, you can go to the next slide, uh, things of, of gratitude, practicing um, presence with God. Uh, we talked about, uh, last week, Bam talked about worship and praise, that we choose to give gratitude upward to God no matter what. Uh, and then we talked about giving is greater than getting, uh, that, if we want it, that giving away our resources and giving to those in need always results in more joy. Um, that I've made a lot of bad financial decisions, but it, uh, you know, giving away money, I'm never like, eh, gosh, I wish I didn't do that. Um, that giving away, is, is it makes us happy to be generous because we look like our God. And then we, talk, and then we haven't talked about this, but community, um, living in community and having close friendships in Christ as Christians is going to result in more joy. So, um, and as we move forward in this message, just a quick uh, disclaimer um, as we do this series, there's a difference between pleasure and joy. Um, and those things are easy to get confused. Uh, pleasure is short-lived. Uh, it's a visceral thing. Uh, pleasure is usually regarding taking, whereas giving is long-lived, and, it, and, it's, and it's usually resulted in giving. Uh, pleasure can be experienced alone, that you can get a quick fix of something, uh, whereas joy is usually experienced in social groups, not to say that solitude and those things are not essential to joy, but in general, we experience joy when we're with others. Um, at pleasure, you too much pleasure, it can lead to like addictions in extreme. In extreme, but you can't really have too much joy. <laughs> like you can't, you can't have too much. Um, pleasure is more about dopamine. It's the quick hit, the quick like on your your social media. Whereas joy is about serotonin. So when we talk today about joy, uh, I want you to keep 
that in mind. Cool? Um, and so today we're talking about, some, we've talked about these practices, but we, you may be thinking, what about when life just hits me, when things go south, when uh, I just fall into horrible circumstances? Now, isn't joy really circumstantial? Or some of you may be asking, isn't joy really about my genetic DNA and how I'm wired? Um, yes, there are like dispositions we have genetically, uh, science shows us, towards different like melancholy or upwardness. But, but and in even our circumstances, uh, some can think, well, that has to be the determinant of joy. Well, the truth is, is, is that they, they don't have the full determinant of joy, that we can choose joy even in the midst of trials. And that's what we're looking at in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, he says, count it all joy when you face many kinds of trials. Uh, and when he says this, many kinds of trials, the first thing we've got to remember is trials are inevitable. Is anybody in here like, trials? What is he talking about? I don't know what those are, right? Like, if you're breathing, uh, if, you have, if you went to college and you have student loan debt, uh, if you have kids, if you're single, if you pay taxes, every single one of you know what I'm talking about when I say trials, right? Those are just to name a few. Um, the, the trials are a core curriculum in life. They are not an elective. No one gets to elect out of trials, we all experience them. They're inescapable. They're inevitable. And God, what we're going to see today, intends those trials to, to deepen our faith. He intends them to, 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 to deepen our faith. Uh, and, and he says this phrase here that um, when you have these trials, he says various kinds of trials. Actually, it's okay. Stay right there. Various kinds of trials. What he says is these are many colored trials. And when you have these trials... I want you to rejoice. Now, this is crazy because Peter, when he talks about trials, Bam looked at this passage last week, Peter says, hey, when you have trials, you should just expect them. James says, not only do I want you to expect trials, but I want you to rejoice in the trial. Now, and not only trials, but he says many, the Greek word there is many colored trials. Rejoice not just when one trouble comes, but a whole hue of chaos comes upon you. When, when many shades of drama are all around you. James says, when you're in the midst of that, when all that lands on you, I want you to be thrilled. Don't just rejoice when like your food order is wrong, your latte is cold, when you lose your job or your girlfriend breaks up with you. I want you to rejoice like when, not only that, but like when you go to the office and they give you the box to leave and they're like, here's your box, go. And you're like, man, I need to get at least a latte. You get your latte, you drink it, and you're like, man, that's cold too. And then you get a text, and it's your girlfriend. She's like, we should talk. Things aren't working out right. Then I want you to rejoice. When all of that happens at once, rejoice, right? So, so first of all, we have to ask a question. Because when we hear this, I don't know about you, but this sounds like religious dumb talk. Like, uh, kind of like some horrible Instagram with flowers in the background, um, and this verse, count it all joy when you face trials, and, and you're, 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 you've been sent it through an email from your work chain, and you get this email. It feels like religious dumb talk. Like, who does this? Who considers it joy when all that happens? Like, it's like, hey, you're getting shot at in the park. Hmm, this is good. I really like that this is happening to me right now. Like, this is what it feels like when James says this. Um, so if we're going to take James seriously, if we're not just going to say, hey, yay, count it all joy, go Bible. Like, who does this? The first people who do this are crazy people. Like, literally people who've lost touch with reality. People who have, 
there, there, there's, there's, not, there's some things missing in their functioning. Um, but the second type of people who do this are people who know something. People that know that locked into that trial is something good. That locked into that trial, there's some potential locked into the trial. That there's something purposeful in the midst of the trial. Uh, a great example uh, for you Star Wars fans is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Anybody? Um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, I don't know if you remember, but uh, he's throwing down with Darth Vader. And he just stands there and he's like, strike me with the lightsaber. And if you do this, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And you're like, what? Like, he's just like, that's it? Like, you're just, a lightsaber, by the way, is like, you, it cuts off your arm. It kills you. Um, but what Obi-Wan knew was that somehow, locked into that trial, he was going to become blue. He was going to be able to trans go anywhere he wants. Like, there was a lot of cool things that happens to Obi-Wan later on. So somehow, locked into that trial, Obi-Wan knew something. Another example of this is, like, working out and lifting weights, right? Like, when you're working out, what are you doing to your muscles? You're putting pain on them. You're, you're breaking them apart. Sometimes you're in the gym, and you're just that guy's like, ooh, the burn is good. Like, no, the burn's not good, but why, what does that mean, the burn is good? The burn is good means that in this pain, there's going to be producing something good, something better than this. I mean, right here, like, I looked like I just signed up for CrossFit for three months, and then never went, you know, and so, uh, and so, so in this pain, there's something locked into it, right? There's something locked into it that's producing something good, and that's why they say, uh, that's why they say, oh, this burn is good. Um, and so, he, here's the thing we have to remember, what, what I think James is getting at, is, is we need to embrace our humanity. We need to embrace our humanity, that if you look before, you know, in the story of God, Adam and Eve, before there was even sin and rebellion in the world, he looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And what I think God is showing us is that before even anything bad enters the world, human beings have needs. And that we have needs and that we are scarred and we get bruised. Now, after the fall, we get bruised, we get scarred. All these things happen to us and bad things continue to happen. We live in this in-between as Advent, this already that Jesus has come, but he hasn't come back to make all things new. And we're in this middle period where things are broken and there's cracked, uh, 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 it's like a, we're in this piece of pottery that God's putting back this world together one day. And somehow in the putting back, it's going to be more beautiful than it would be if it was never broken. Uh, and so th that's what I think James is showing us is that, um, that as you embrace your humanity, as you really just see your life for what it is, and you know that, that you're a human being, he's saying, I don't want you to see the trial and do some weird, cheesy thing and make that trial sound like it's good. He's like, I want you to chalk it up and count it as joy, knowing that it's going to produce something. James chapter 3, verse 3, because we know something, remember? Two people do this, crazy people, people who know something. For you know, what? That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
And so he says, we know something, that this is going to produce something in us. That he says, we need to get perspective. Don't pretend to be happy. The testings are, you are to count those testings as an occasion for joy because they are an opportunity, just like Ryan talked about. It, was, it wasn't just swimmingly easy. But in that, he somehow, in the end, experienced joy like never before. We used to have, uh, I used to lead a college ministry before we moved here to plant a church. And one of the guys who helped us uh, he got in a horrible car accident and became paralyzed from the waist down. And we didn't have a handicap accessible building. Our college ministry met in a loft upstairs, and he would crawl up the stairs to help teach this Bible study with his hands, each step pushing himself up every time. And what, he, what my friend Josh would always tell me, he says, Brian, I would never want my life the way it was before the accident that I would rather have my life now with the accident, knowing what I know now, than I would before. And I think that's a perfect picture of what James is saying, is that we need to count these trials as joy, that even though the, the trial sucks, my friend was like, oh, it's the, 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 my leg's being broken sucks. He's like, but I would never go back to life the way it was without them, with, with them, if I, but without all the emotional, mental, and spiritual things I know now. And so I think what James is saying is count these things as joy. Chalk them up as joy because they were an occasion to re release something in you. And there's something in you that is gold that needs to be refined and to be broken out and shown. But that gold that is in you will not get shown unless you go through the fire. It reminds me of, um, I love the story of Michelangelo. There was this huge marble rock that was just this eyesore. It was ugly. It was, they couldn't get it. They couldn't move it. It was so horrible. They tried to hire one artist to carve something out of it, and he couldn't do it. Michelangelo, in his 17-year-old, looked at that big rock, and he says, he says, let me have it. And they're like, well, who are you? He's like, I, I'm, I just see something. That's, that statue, that big rock is David. He's like, that rock, I already see David in that rock. I just need to chisel away everything that doesn't belong. And when we go through trials, that is what God is doing to us. He sees the beauty and wonder of who you are, but there's some things that he needs to chisel away that doesn't belong. Does that make sense? And he's not saying that, that he's purposeful. I'm not saying that God's sending the trial. This is um, a broad category of talking about pain and trials. Um, there, I'm not saying that he's sending all of those. But what I'm saying is, is in the midst, as God allows suffering and allows pain in your life, he does want us to see that there is some potential locked into that trial and pain that will produce what? Steadfastness and maturity. And then in that steadfastness, I love that word, it's the word hupomone. It means to abide under. Hupo means under. And he says, I want you to abide under. I want you to, to abide under these trials and know that as you abide under these trials that, you're, uh, that you can't control, God is going to, he says that they're going to have, that, that abiding under is going to be complete, have its full effect, so that you may be complete. So he says, once that's complete, you're going to then be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, as I say this, there's still just this sense of, okay, really, Brian? Like, go through pain so I can learn something? Like, I could have watched Mr. Rogers. I could have done a lot of things to learn something. Like, really? That's the reason we go through pain? Um, and, and is it really that simple? Is it that, 
that's really not enough for me. This is not making me better. This is making me bitter hearing this talk right now. Um, you don't know what I'm going through. And, and you're right, I don't. And, I, and we've been through a lot of trials myself. I'm going through a trial right now. Let's be honest, it's difficult. Within living in Chicago, we've lost, I think, six people who've, who've died. We've had my, my sister-in-law go through breast cancer at the age, in her young 30s. Uh, we, we've had so many trials. And so we can't compare all the different trials but what we find here is that in the midst of this, James keeps going and he says this. He says, you know, I know that this isn't that simple. I know it's not just cut and dry, consider it joy. And so he says in verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And so James knows that this is very confusing, that suffering is very confusing, and that it puts us in a place where we need wisdom that we need to experience the wisdom of God, and that we can't, that no, none of us are born wise, that we all go through different seasons needing to grow in our wisdom. Uh, there was a study done in which they looked at the temperaments of ki- children, and in the temperaments of children, they, they, they put difficult situations, and it said that the study shows that no one is really born wise, that there's three types of children. The first child is the anxious child. The anxious child will thrive in very dangerous situations because in the dangerous situations, the anxious child does the right thing, like run away, this is scary, right? So, but in normal situations, the anxious child doesn't thrive. Then you have the aggressive child, right? Like my children, my last two. Uh, and they grab everything, like anything's dangerous. Ooh, ooh, shiny knife. Let me grab it, right? Um, those children don't thrive in very dangerous situations, but they thrive in moderately dangerous situations that aren't too scary because they, they advance and they, they make advancements and they move forward. And then you have the philosophical child, which is like, they just sit and ponder. And they thrive in very safe situations, Put them in a dangerous situation. They're like, oh, a bear. It's about to kill me. That looks nice. You're cute. And then you're like, no, that's not going to be well. None of us are born wise. So we have to, what does God, God is a good parent. It says that he gives generously to all without reproach. That God is not a stingy God. The, what I find in my life is that I just don't ask. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. And for me, I'll be going through my life and I'll be having this trial. And God's sometimes the last person I turn to. It's like, God, give me wisdom. I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your advice. And so a lot of times we just don't ask. But God is not a stingy God. He's a generous God. He says, if you ask me, I will give you wisdom. And you have to have the humility, all of us, to say, I'm not wise that I don't know what I'm doing. And God will not, and I love this, because God will not shame you for struggling. It says, I used to read this verse and be like, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm doubting. I don't know if you ever read this verse and thought, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. And I'm like, oh, I'm screwed. (laughs) I'm doubting. I'm not, I don't believe, I'm struggling to believe, like, this verse doesn't apply to me. I'm not going to pray this. That word doubting is very misleading. The word doubting is really the word, a word that James makes up that's called double-souled, two-souled. And so he's not saying, like, if you are struggling, don't ask. That's like not, not what he's saying at all. It, it's actually God, God will not shame you for struggling. 
And so if you're struggling to believe, you're struggling to have faith, he says, no, come to me and ask. I'm a God of generous goodness that wants to give things to you and wants to show you things. He says, what I don't want you to do, though, is ask in insincerity or with, with an insincere heart. When I want you to ask, I want you to ask in sincerity. I want you to ask and not have mixed motives or different values. I don't want you to be double-souled, right? I don't want you to be a house divided. I'm, I'm from Alabama, and my team, Auburn, just beat Alabama and knocked them out of the playoffs, so I'm so excited. But a thing you'll see in the state of Alabama is a cheesy thing, which is car tags that say, house divided, which means there's one Alabama fan and one Auburn fan. He says, I don't want you to be for two teams, I don't want you to be a house divided. And what this means is I don't want you to have two loyalties going in two directions saying, oh, I love God. I want to worship him, but then I just want to kind of live my way. God, with this thing, this relationship, I'll give it all to you. But as soon as it goes south and gets frustrating, I'm going to go it the world's way. God, this job, this, this struggle, this difficulty, I'm going to surrender it to you. But as soon as it starts to get really difficult, this, right? This is, it, it does, it, we do the same thing. It doesn't work. He's saying it, the problem is you're divided and you can't come asking for me, looking for wisdom if your heart is divided, right? We, same thing with dieting, right? Whole 30. This would be like, hey, Whole 30, I'm going to start the Whole 30 on Monday, but Tuesday's Taco Tuesday. So I'll start on Monday and then I'll do Taco Tuesday and then I'll go back on Wednesday, but Thursday, at work, there's that amazing vending machine, and they got the king-size snicker bar, and I love that thing. It's amazing. So Thursday's king-size snicker bar, but then I'm going to go back to Whole30 on Friday. You see what I'm saying? He's, it's, it's divided, that, that, that you're not being completely sincere. And th- same thing with dating. I mean, imagine being divided and dating, like, hey, I want us to date. Let's go out. I'd love for us to start a relationship, but I just need to keep my options open over here. That girl, that that person's gonna say, "Yeah, it doesn't work that way." If they're any, if they have any wisdom at all, <laughs> and so, so we can't be double-souled, is what he says. He says, "I want to challenge you." This is what James is saying. He's, "I want to challenge you," and, and this is what I'm saying as your pastor. I want to challenge you that let these trials produce something in you. To let these trials show the gold that is there. That 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 lean into the word, lead into God, the rest of 2019, lean into God's word through these trials, lean into prayer through these trials, lean into gratitude through these trials, that, that commit to this, commit to this plan. And what he says, James says, is that as you ask God for this wisdom, God will do two things and produce two things in you. One is he'll cause you to loosen your grip on the attachments that you have in life. And the second, he'll lift your gaze. He'll loosen your grip and he'll lift your gaze. It says this in verse, in I don't have it up here, but in verse, do I have verse 13? And One second. You guys doing okay? says this in verse 9. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. 
For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so he's saying there's these things that we're getting our joy from that are very trivial, that are very tangible, that, we're, that are very uh, uh, non-lasting. And he's saying, I'm introducing pain, and when I do that, it will release your grip on those things. He says there's this rich person that, that, that they will exalt when they are humiliated because they'll realize, like, all these things fade that all these things fade. Like, what's it, The question for you is, as you're going through this trial right now, if you lose that thing you want so badly, are you going to be disappointed or devastated? Like if, like if ladies, if you lost all of your hair, like, like my sister-in-law did when she got breast cancer, are you going to be, oh, this is hard, this is disappointing, I have horrible days, or are you just going to be devastated? You know, if you, if, you, if you lose your job, are you going to be disappointed or devastated? Or like my friend who is a paraplegic. I think of Joni Erickson, who is a, who's a paraplegic. And I love the story that she shares, that she has this conversation with God as she imagines going to heaven, having her very first conversation with God. And she says, God, before you send this wheelchair to hell... <laughs> She says, I, w- I want to say something. That this was horrible, and I hated it, but the weaker I was, the harder I leaned on you. And I found you to be stronger and stronger and stronger as a result. And she goes, thank you. It was a severe mercy. And I love that. That that is what God's doing. That, that in this trial, we can lean in on God. That we can loosen our grip on the things that we are attached to, overly attached to, and we can lift our gaze. It says in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And as we, Grace, you can come up as we close. And how do, this is not just wishful thinking. In verse Hebrews chapter 12, we see that same word for endure come up in regards to Jesus. It says, therefore, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, hypomone, endured the cross, abided under the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this season, I encourage you all to embrace your humanity, your limitations. Don't avoid the pain. Don't try to numb the pain. But see, God, what are you wanting to chisel away to produce something in me? How are you calling me to endure, knowing that I have one who endured with me. You see, Jesus endured the pain. It reminds me of analogy of labor and delivery for moms, right? It's like the pain of that delivery and then to have that child on your chest. And that baby goes through the pain too. The, pain, the baby is going through trauma. 
And what God is telling us is we don't have a God who said, yeah, you're going to go through this, but I'm going to stand over here and I'll give you some resources along the way like candy. I'll dangle it out here. God said, no, I'm actually going to get into the pain with you. I'm going to go through the pain. I'm with you in the pain. And I, I endured the cross and it was joy. And who was who the joy? What was the joy set before him? It was you and I. We were the joy. He said, I endured the worst day in the history of the universe for you because it brings me such great joy to be in relationship with you. And that's the God we serve. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We're going to take communion in a minute. And we're going to have some prayer leaders standing to the back of the room by the windows. Um, before we do all this and we do our normal things of worshiping, I just pray that... I uh, just want you to, to name in your head and your heart the trial you're going through right now. Just put a name to it because there's power in naming. There's power and humility of acknowledging, God, this is where I need wisdom. For some of you, maybe you want to put your hands out and place that trial in your hands as an act of surrender, as an act of, God, I need wisdom through this trial. And not only do I need wisdom, I need perspective. And not only do I need perspective, I need a person. I need Jesus in the midst of the pain. And so would you not just experience peace? Would you have the Prince of Peace right now? And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, the Prince of Peace, we invite you today to say, God, I give you my life. I know that there's no other way to experience the joy of this life without you. I surrender my life completely to you and give my life to you. And for all the trials that are represented in this room, God, may the God of love and peace, may you break through the dawn like a flock of birds flying through the daybreak. May you surprise us with joy. And may you produce something in us and mature us. And may we take joy in the fact that you have not left us, nor will you forsake us, that you are a generous God who gives to all who ask. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.